There's a story about two great rabbis who lived just a bit before Jesus. There was a Gentile who came to Rabbi Shammai and said, I'd like to convert to your faith, but I want you to teach me the whole Torah during the time I can spend standing on one foot. Shammai drove him away with a stick. So next he went to Rabbi Hillel. And Hillel agreed to do it. So with the Gentile standing on one foot, Hillel said, what is hateful to you, don't do to your neighbor. That is the whole law and the rest is commentary. And the Gentile presumably put his foot down and then converted. There are lots of examples of teachers taking the whole of the law and simplifying it or distilling it into a summary. And Jesus is no exception. There's another place in Matthew's gospel where he summarizes the law in another way, almost the same way as Hillel. He says, do to others as you would want them to do to you. But here today, he chooses a slightly different approach. He reaches into Torah and chooses two individual verses from different parts of the five books of the law. One is from the book of Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and soul and strength. And then the second is from the book of Leviticus, the passage that we read just a few minutes ago. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's been said that these two verses sum up the vertical and horizontal dimensions of the faith. Vertical in the sense of our relationship with God and horizontal in the sense of our relationship with one another. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so clearly, to practice a life of faith, we need both those dimensions. Three years ago, when I was first exploring applying to serve here at Incarnation, I read this parish's written profile, a self-description. And on the very first page was a word cloud, a collage of words that had been used by parishioners to describe their feelings about the church. And in that word cloud, some of the very biggest words were liturgy, music, spiritual, and beauty. Words about transcendence, words about that vertical dimension of the spiritual life. But equally as big were words like outreach. And words like caring and words like inclusive, words about the horizontal, words about our relationships with each other. And that's one of the things, that's one of the first things that drew me to incarnation, this word cloud with words about loving God and words about loving neighbor. And it's still what I believe that we are as a congregation at our best, a church that's passionately devoted to loving God in beauty and in prayer and passionately devoted to loving our neighbors by helping make sure that people have food and shelter and support. Because both those dimensions need each other. You could have a church with the most beautiful liturgy in the world that's turned inward on itself and doesn't care for its neighbors. That's not really so much a church as a shrine or maybe a museum. You could have a church that feeds and shelters people, but doesn't know how to pray or sing, or sit in silence. 
and that church might be more of a social service agency. We need social service agencies and we need museums, but our call is to be a church. And so we need both. But in the end, even though you can distinguish between these horizontal and vertical dimensions of faith, you can never separate them. Last week in his sermon, Jamie Knutson said that every human being bears the image of God. And so actually, if you are to love God with your heart and mind and strength, then you can't help also loving God's image in others with your heart and mind and strength. If you love God deeply enough, it will catapult you out into the world to love God's image. And a few chapters on from where we are now in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will tell his friends that however they treat anyone who is poor or hungry or in need, that is precisely how they are treating Jesus. Jesus, the incarnate word of God. So if we are loving our neighbor as ourselves, we are actually loving Jesus, loving God in the person of our neighbor. You can't have one without the other. Loving God is loving neighbor and loving neighbor is loving God. So notice the word that those two commandments have in common. Notice the word at the juxtaposition, at the middle of that cross-shaped horizontal and vertical. Love. You shall love. You shall love. That word is the beating heart of the summary of the law that Jesus gives today. And think about for a minute the paradox of having a commandment about loving. It's a paradox because really love is the one thing we can never be forced to do. You can command someone to do something they don't want to do. Jesus could have said, for example, serve the Lord your God with your heart and mind and strength and serve your neighbor as you would want to be served. But you can serve someone without loving them. You can be coerced into serving. You can grit your teeth in order to obey the commandment. But no one can force you to love. Love awakens. It comes freely or it's not love. And so to be commanded to love, it's a great mystery. And Jesus drives this point home in a different way, in a whole different gospel, the gospel of John on the night of the Last Supper, when he says to his disciples, I am giving you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. In a place near that in John, Jesus says to his disciples that they aren't to be his servants, but his friends. And so when Jesus commands us to love, he is treating us not as servants who have to do what he says, whether we like it or not, but as friends that he can invite into the full maturity, the full relationship of loving and being loved. This is the one central thing that Jesus tells us across multiple different gospel traditions. This is the central thing that God wants us to do is love, not carry out a specific duty, not do a specific thing, but love, love God and love all those whom God loves. Can you imagine for a moment what the world would look like if we really 
believed that love is at the heart of the universe. Because it is. What would the world look like if we lived that? And in this election season, why don't we narrow our focus a bit and ask what this country would look like if we really believe that love is at the heart of the universe, that the one true thing that God wants us to do is to love and be loved, to love God and love neighbor. What does it look like here and now to love when there is such cruelty, such racism, corruption in public life, contempt for truth, blatant destabilization of good governance and democracy, when there is a raging pandemic that we have failed to contain, when there's a changing climate that threatens the welfare of our entire world and most particularly those who are vulnerable, those who have the fewest resources. When there are 500 young children today still separated from their deported parents, what does love look like? And when our society is profoundly divided into sides with incompatible understandings of reality, how do we love one another as we are loved by God? How do we do it without that degenerating into sentimentality, into a cheap meaninglessness that doesn't resemble the love that God calls us to? I think there's a clue back in our passage from Leviticus. This passage from the Torah where these instructions to love our neighbor as ourself first come from. Right in the line leading up to it. It says first, you shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. And then it goes on to say, you shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. And then it goes on to say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So think about those two instructions juxtaposed right up against each other. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. And you shall reprove your neighbor or else you will incur guilt yourself. So on the one hand, we are not to bear hatred in our heart against anyone, not our worst political enemy. We're not to take vengeance, it says, or bear a grudge. But in case we're tempted to think that this is all about just being nice, God then goes on to say, you shall reprove your neighbor of wrongdoing or else you will carry the guilt yourself. Loving our neighbor doesn't mean excusing bad actions. It doesn't mean letting off the hook or ignoring. Actually, to truly love another human being means loving them enough to not let them off the hook. It means not being satisfied with them failing to live up to the image of God in them. Loving one another means calling each other to that fullness of maturity, to Christ-likeness, to God-likeness, to practicing the twofold commandment of love. And so we, in this place, we as people of faith in this bitterly divided and hate-filled society are called to put that love into action. We're coming up in nine days to the most consequential election, I think, of my lifetime, maybe of yours. And there's a lot of hatred and there's a lot to reprove. 
If you're a citizen of this country, I urge you to practice love for God and neighbor in one very simple, very central way right now by exercising your ability to vote. You can go do it now. You can do it today. If you haven't registered to vote, it's still not too late. You can register on the spot when you cast your ballot, either in early voting or on election day. And having committed to do that simple thing, that simple responsibility of voting, as you vote, hold in your heart this commandment of love. This commandment of love for God, which is love of neighbor. And love of neighbor, which is love of God. In your discernment, vote for candidates and policies who you believe will move the, the world in the direction of more love and not of less. As a person of faith, that is your central criterion. So don't hate your neighbor in your heart. Don't take vengeance. And instead, let your heart burn with the fire of love, a fierce love that refuses to settle for anything less than the full humanity of all who are loved in the image of God.